and Stephanie's one of four people who I've been instructing in the art of preaching. Uh, preaching is a difficult art to learn because you have to learn it in public. <laughs> There's no other way to really practice than to, to preach in front of people. Um, so please give Stephanie grace. Uh, this is her first time, uh, and, um, and she is bringing the word to us from John 1 this morning. Um, so let me pray for Stephanie. Father God, we bless you that you sent your son, your living word, into the world to save us. We thank you, Lord, that your word brings life and light to us. And we pray this morning that as Stephanie preaches, you would anoint her words with power to give us light to our eyes and to change and transform us. Please strengthen her for this task in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Merry Christmas. Right? <laughs> we still get to say it. Christmas Day marks the beginning of Christmas, not the end. Advent, the season of waiting and hoping and longing, ends. And the season of living and doing and being begins. So before we really jump into this passage from John, I want to reflect for a minute that on today, December 30th, Jesus would have been five days old. Now, whether or not that was the exact historical day on which he was born is not the point. The point is, can you imagine the Son of God as a five-day-old? Have you been around a five-day-old recently? The Word became flesh, and flesh is the perfect way to describe a five-day-old. They are little balls of, yes, cute, but fleshy, messy, whiny, poopy, hungry fleshiness. We hear songs, first-hand account here. <laughs> We hear songs and stories of Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, but have you ever tried to successfully swaddle an infant? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. There is almost always a foot that sticks out or a hand that breaks free. And for parents around five days, all the adrenaline and hormones of having a newborn come to this sudden crash. And you're ga left gazing at this little fleshy being wondering, oh my goodness, what have we gotten ourselves into? And for us, too, this morning, I think the wonder, or maybe also the stress of Christmas and the time off work or school um, may be coming to an end, and we're left facing our own question of, now what? John's words to us this morning beg a similar response. Oh my goodness, what have we gotten ourselves into? Now what? We, you and I, have always been flesh. Right? We were born with bodies, and we have never known a day on earth without them. And yet, we need this reminder that God himself came down to become flesh, to dwell with us. And so we, too, are to embrace our flesh and to live life in the fullness of it and the confines of our fleshy, messy selves. John gives us a lot to consider in his poetic description of the incarnation that we read, and he conveniently leaves out all the parts about unruly swaddling clothes and diapers, right? For John, it's all about wonder and light and life. It's about God's intangible truth and grace becoming once again tangible, as it was in the beginning. So turn with me in your Bible to John 1, and we can explore two different truths this morning that John tells us about this word made flesh. First, that it is light, and second, that it has come to dwell. So this word made flesh is light, and it came to dwell. So starting in verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, 
And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The gospel writers love to talk about light, and in particular, light in relation to darkness. Light is always good. It represents truth, purity, goodness, divinity. Light reveals to us what's hidden. It tells the truth about what's around us. It shows us the way. It allows us to live and work and play in otherwise dark places. But if you think about light, what is it really? We know it when we see it, right? Or when we see by it, but what is light? Light's a bit of a mystery. Bear with me on this somewhat nerdy tangent, okay? In physics, I told you, nerdy, okay? In physics, light is both a wave, right, and a particle. It is simultaneously a motion, something that moves, and an object, something that has size and weight and shape. Is Jesus not also this same type of mystery? He's a particle, right? He's flesh, but he's like a wave, timeless and intangible, going on forever. I'll spare you the math that proves these things about light, and don't ask me afterwards because I don't really know it anymore. Okay? <laughs> but I will say that light, the, even the science of light, reveals to us something about the mystery of being both divine and human, right? finite and infinite, all at the same time. We don't see light itself, but light allows us to see everything else. Light can both give sight and take sight. Just enough and you can see, but too much and you're blinded. And just as we can't, right, or we shouldn't look directly at the sun, or really even a light bulb for that matter, we can't look upon God with our limited eyes and not be blinded. John tells us God is light. There is no darkness. He's pure light. We would be blinded by the intensity of his glory, which is a problem for us because we want to see him. We have longed ever since the beginning of time to be embraced once again by God. We long for nothing more than for God to come down and walk with us. We long for God's welcome, but he is too bright for us even to look at. But God knows we have this problem, and he has, being a good God, a solution. Christmas. Jesus makes the invisible, bright, and brilliant God visible. He filters the light of God's glory through a human body into someone that we can hold and see and touch and even nail to a cross. Jesus is the invisible wave of light going on and on for eternity, made flesh into particles so that we are finally able to see the glory of the Father without being blinded. He's the light of men, not just the light, but the light of men so that humanity can see and take in and comprehend so that we might begin to know God. Because of Christmas, we, you and I, are welcomed again into God's brilliance. Now, I did a lot of camping growing up, and one spring, a few friends and I convinced a very reluctant group of parents that we should go on a weekend camping trip in the California desert. Now, you may hear the word desert and think hot, but 
In early spring, the desert is still very cold. There are no trees to trap down the warm air, and the sand stays cold for months. This was a last minute trip, and we packed a little quickly, I'll admit. Um, and upon getting to our campsite, we realized that we probably had not prepared for the low nighttime temperatures. It still got close to freezing by midnight. But we figured how bad could it be, right? So we pitched our tents, we did some hiking, we had a fire, and we went to bed. Around 2 a.m., I woke up. You guessed it, I was cold, right? I looked around our tent, and my friend next to me had her eyes open too, kind of squirming, trying to get warm. But I closed my eyes, I tried to think warm thoughts, figured it was almost morning. I opened them a couple of minutes later, looked at my watch, 2.03 a.m. It had literally been like four minutes. This was going to be a long, cold night. So after hours of waiting in the darkness, feeling cold, and dreading that I told you so comment from my mother, the sky started to get just a little bit lighter. We unzipped the tent door a crack. We huddled together and watched the sun ever so slowly start to rise. It was the longest night I can recall. I thought I would never again feel warm. And despite knowing that the sun rises every morning, I had moments of thinking, maybe this morning it won't. Maybe I'll feel cold forever. But the sun rose and lit up the campsite, and that biting cold air slowly warmed, and we emerged for some much-needed hot chocolate. And this year, all of us will have periods of darkness like that. I can say that with almost certainty, even if this is a great year for you. And in those moments, it's tempting to get lost in the darkness, to resign to the darkness and to stop searching for light, or to wonder if life will always be cold and dark. But John's words remind us that the darkness has not overcome the light. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to hide under the covers with our teeth chattering, wondering if the sun will rise and make us warm again. Jesus has come to be the light that keeps us from being stuck in darkness. God knows we need light, and in doing so, he acknowledges our world of darkness, and what he offers is not the power of positive thinking, right, or an attaboy, it'll get better. What he offers is light. Light that says, I see your darkness, and I am here to get rid of it. I see your darkness, and I am here to get rid of it. Jesus is the light of the world, light that's mysterious and full of warmth for us. But that light came not just to shine, something intangible, but to dwell and to engage our fleshy, physical world. So we'll talk a little now about how that word made flesh came not just to shine, but to dwell. You might have heard the expression, pinch yourself to be sure that you're not dreaming. Right? We say this when life feels too good or maybe too bad, that it's hard to believe what's going on, and we wonder if we have to be woken up for some dream. God gives us a lot of pinch-yourself moments in Scripture, but Christmas might be the best one. So, go ahead. Pinch yourself. Better yet, pinch the person next to you. <laughs> Siblings, be gentle with each other, please. <laughs> so do it. Okay. God made us to be physical creatures not floating clouds of emotions or thought bubbles that are flying through space. He made us physical because he himself is also physical. And so he knows that we need physical signs of his presence and his love 
Just like a friend or a sibling or a spouse doesn't just say or text that they love you, they show up, right? They give meaningful gifts. They come to important events. They leave physical traces of themselves in your life. John 14 here says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't stop by or wave hello from space or drop in for a quick chat. He dwelled. And that word, dwell, could also be translated as tabernacle, right? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The tabernacle was the literal, the the portable dwelling place of God for the Israelites, guiding them through seemingly endless wilderness to this eventual promised land. God had inserted himself into their wanderings because he wanted nothing more than to be near his people. He has always wanted to walk amongst his people, as it was in the beginning, John reminds us. It is in his nature to desire to live with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is our portable God in flesh, not a temple made of walls or a tabernacle made of goat hair curtains. You can read more about that in Exodus if you want the details. Jesus dwells with us on this seemingly endless wilderness journey until we reach a different promised land where we will one day tabernacle together with him. The words in Revelation remind us of this same type of dwelling. Revelation 21.3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Does that not sound similar to what the angels cried out to the shepherds on Christmas night, or what the wise men proclaimed a few years later? The flesh of Jesus came to us so that our flesh might one day come to him. So as we close, I want us to end thinking about what Jesus' flesh means for our own flesh and how we are to dwell. Jesus' commitment to dwell with us can certainly be a comfort, but it also serves as a challenge to be, like him, fleshy creatures who dwell in our physical world and engage with our whole selves. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I like the way that Eugene Peterson translates this verse 14 um, in the message. He writes, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Right? Moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came to be a good neighbor to us. He came to know our hardships the way only a neighbor can. To submit to the same physical space as us. If he had come today, his physical self would have known our food in our healthcare deserts, our safe and our unsafe streets, our school zones, our access to housing, our just and our unjust laws. Our immediate physical neighbors, even if we don't know their names, and hopefully we do, but even if not, they experience the world in ways similar to ourselves simply because they're next door. Have you ever stopped in a grocery store when you're in a different part of town? Nothing's in the right space. You can't find anything. If nothing else, you and your neighbor share the familiarity of your public aisles. Hopefully there's more, but there's at least that. Jesus didn't excuse himself from the reality of the hardships of his day. Rather, he embraced them from birth in a manger to death on a cross. He lived life fully in the flesh, 
And we could use the reminder to live fleshy, neighborly lives as well. Lives lived engaging not only with words or thoughts or emotions or screens or intentions, but with flesh. And I think the most basic way to do this is to get to know your neighbors, right? Spend time in the same physical space as the people you live near. Go in the front yard, not the back. Take walks. Extend risky dinner invitations. Live life where you live. I had a friend in Washington, D.C., which admittedly is a very walkable city, but for the entire season of Lent, she didn't go anywhere that she couldn't walk on foot. She lived life solely in her neighborhood, and she emerged with new love for the physical space and the people around her. So challenge yourself this year to become a good neighbor or a better neighbor. Dwell well in the space and place God has given you. And if, in doing so, maybe you realize your heart is consistently drawn to love neighbors in a different zip code, or a different state, or even a different country, then consider moving there. Jesus did. So even if you're not a New Year's resolution-making person, I did your homework for you, so you're done. (laughs) But ask yourself this week, how can I dwell well in my neighborhood? How can I be a good neighbor? to dwell and to shine. The incarnation comforts us with a presence of light and darkness and of Jesus' tangible presence. And it challenges us with the call to dwell well in our physical space. God's word is made flesh not just in Jesus, but in us, so that our flesh, the way we live and move and have our being, is changed. So that we too will be able to reel that visible glory right, of the invisible God. Amen. Amen.